Welcome to the Queensland Huddle Grand Final Edition. Liam Flanagan here. Brett Thomas, we have arrived. They said we couldn't make it, and yet here we are preparing for a Brisbane Lions Grand Final. Unbelievable. Hello, Flanners. This is the week that we hoped for at the beginning of the season, and we maybe expected that Brisbane should be at the, the pointy end, given the way they've recruited and the way they'd performed four years prior to that, making the finals every year. And uh, the week just got a little bit bigger because Lockie Neal has another Brownlow hanging around his neck. Let's start there. Look, we're going to talk about the prelim win. We, we will talk about the Gold Coast Suns, who've won a premiership as well. Uh, and then, we'll, of course, we'll look into this final. But let's talk about the Brownlow Medal 2023 edition, Lockie Neal, officially a two-time Brownlow medalist. And can I just say this from the outset, Brett? To anybody who is buying into this rubbish that it was a, it doesn't deserve this medal, you can get stuff. I'm, it's, I'm so fired up. The amount of times that uh, we celebrate, you know, when it's won by a bloody Victorian player... And now because it's fallen against Victorian players this year, because Bontempelli and Petrarca and Dacos have been left in Lockie's wake, there needs to be a full investigation into the way this thing is judged. Well, you only have to go back 12 months ago when um, Paddy Cripps was very lucky to get off that uh, that bump on Archie. And um, there probably wasn't as much outrage compared to what's happened here with Lockie Neal. And it's not like... Lockie Neal is a player completely out of the blue winning a Brownlow. He's won a Brownlow before. He's a quality player. He's always under the noses of the umpires. And look, there might have been that Giants game where he was lucky to get the the three votes, but that's what happens with the Brownlow. It throws up these surprises because you've got the umpires voting and you don't give them any stats, Mm. but he's right there in front of them. Um, He's not a Zorko where he agitates all game. So... Um, I think he's a deserving two-time and, winner. And he's also a beneficiary of essentially being the most identifiable, notable midfielder in a group, in the team. Like, you know, Hugh McCluggage is a, is a quiet operator. Jared Berry is a silent operator. Dunkley's not even a, a, a noisy operator the way he goes about his work. Whereas you look at that Collingwood team, and Nick Dacos is surrounded by not only his his brother, but also Scott Pendlebury and Tom Mitchell and Taylor Adams and Jordan. There is really high-profile players in that team alongside of him. Petrarca's the same. Jack, Jack Viney stole huge, not stole, but, you know, took a lot of votes away from Christian Petrarca throughout the night. It's the nature of the count. It's the nature of the way this award is, is handed out. I... You could argue that Lockie should have won it last year but when he was robbed by Paddy Cripps, but I think his career almost is is worthy of it. He becomes the 16th ever player to win two Brownlow medals, and I think his is a career worthy of it. Yeah, you, you rattle off the, the guys who have won multiple medals, Greg Williams, Robert Harvey, Keith Gregg, Chris Judd, Nat Fife. He sits comfortably. Adam Goods. Adam Goods. He sits comfortably amongst those players. I don't think he, it's out of place. Uh, he's a quality player, and he's so consistent. And maybe he's, um, in some ways, a victim of his own consistency. A little bit like Michael Jordan back in the day winning MVPs every year. You kind of half forget he's out there, mm. Lockie Neal. And it's been a very even year for, you know, I, I think we've talked about um, maybe no clear standout for the BNF. But, uh, yeah, Lockie Neal, uh, just a, such a quality player um, and someone who you can build a midfield around as the Lions have done. Yeah, and and well done, Lockie. Uh, they were obviously in Brisbane, weren't down in Melbourne at the Crown Palladium for the awards night up here. Uh, Brett, I believe you... Were you at the uh, Lions event last night? I wasn't, no. Okay. But, um, I, believe you have a, uh, I believe you have a special insight into uh, a certain coach of the Brisbane Lions, not pleased with how late the uh, formalities were running. Yeah, I don't think Fags was too happy 
to um, be up so late last night. Not only him, but also his squad preparing for a grand final and probably also didn't expect that he would be presenting a medal at the end of the night, but he was, and I'm sure he's happy about it now um, and had a good night's sleep and they had open training this morning. Heaps of fans out there. They might have been a bit fatigued, a bit of extra fatigue for Lockie and the coach, but I'm sure that was quickly erased by... Uh, you know, the honour of winning a Brownlow. And if any player can deal with the distraction of winning a Brownlow and playing in a grand final this week, it'll be Lockie Neal. I, I just love the idea that while he's up there giving his speech, you got Fags in the background giving the wind-up signal. <laughs> Looking at his watch. <laughs> uh, before we move on from the Brownlow, uh, we should make mention of Noah Anderson. Uh, third, just the third ever Gold Coast son to go past 20 votes in a season. Had 22 votes. It was only nine votes off Lockie Neal. I am pleased to see, even if the um, the All Australian squad didn't reckon All Australian final team didn't recognise him. I'm pleased to see the umpires recognised uh, what a tremendous season Noah Anderson has had. Yeah, it was outstanding from Noah Anderson. I reckon there's a best and fairest coming his way mm-hmm. as well. And given that Took Miller was out for considerable amount of time with that knee injury, he really stepped up and um, you know. He's polling well now, which means the umpires are noticing him. Mm. So when they become a good team challenging for finals, you know, I reckon he'll be up the pointy end and maybe yeah. he'll be winning a Brownlow one day. Yeah, and obviously, Brett, you're aware that Noah Anderson's already won the best and fairest. Oh, good point. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, happened, another one. Happened another about one. a month ago, mate. Uh, quick, quickly, <laughs> I know we will walk away from this because we've got some footy to talk about, but this is my last. I promise I'll, I'll step down off my soapbox after this. But either the All-Australian selectors or the umpires need to have a good hard look at themselves because... You, there is no way that a group of play, people in the umpires can judge Lockie Neal to be the best player in the competition. And then you have a completely separate group of former players and administrators who don't even deem him to be in the best 22. Yeah, we it, talked about this on the podcast, didn't we? That um, they'd have egg on their face if Lockie Neal won a Brownlow wasn't in the All-Australian team. Again, I think it just comes down to his consistent brilliance that it becomes undervalued that you look at other guys like... And Nick Dacos had an outstanding year, who've jumped up. We hadn't been talked about before. Uh, but yeah, as we've said, I reckon they need a Queensland selector um, for this All-Australian team. All right, quickly, let's talk about this prelim final that was uh, the Suns... Sorry, beg your pardon, the Lions getting it done over Carlton. They got they got jumped in the first quarter, and you got the sense that Carlton knew their best hopes of, of springing an upset and winning the game was if they came out and, and punched the Lions in the face early, and they did that. They just didn't have the cattle or, or the game style to go with them over the remaining three ter- three quarters. No, all the forward line, really, because it was the, the back line of the Lions that was the difference that dominated. Kadeen Coleman, Connor McKenna, Darcy Wilmot, all pushing up the ground. Uh, Leicester kicked a goal. Darcy Gardner almost kicked a goal. He was huge. And Harris Andrews, even in the first quarter when they're under siege, took some really important marks. If you go back to one of the first plays of the game, Jared Berry running forward, ran a bit too far, kicked mm. it into, was it Hipwood? I forget yep. who the pass ended up with. If that goes through for a goal, then you know maybe the Blues don't go on that burst. But I think you just always had faith at the Gabba that the Lions were going to have their moment and have their, their blitz, which is normally in the third quarter, and that's the way it played out. So, um, yeah, the, the, the Blues started strongly, but I think that you know eventually the class rose to the top. And you talk about the class. I was at the game with a mate, and we were talking about Kidding Coleman. And my mate's a Crows supporter, and he was... He said it was a. It brought back memories of Andrew McLeod in the ninety seven ninety eight final series. Not because the Indigenous half back, but because of the ease with which they move and they kick the football. Kadeen Coleman 
never looked rushed. Yep. And, he, and he never looked like he was traveling at a pace that was beyond his control. You only kind of noticed how quickly he was moving when he slowed down to kick. And and his ability, I mean, he was literally on a separate tier to everybody else with his ability to chew off the aggressive kick through the corridor. No, but I didn't even really see anybody noticeably attempt that kick. And yet I felt like he did it every time he took the football. Yeah, it's only some of the best players in the game, in the history of the game, that have that amount of time where time seems to slow for them, like a McLeod or um, a Scott Pendlebury. And he was tough too. It wasn't just his silky silky disposals, but he knew with no pain in the side that at times he'd have to get back in the hole. And Mm. he's done that. And um, he spoke yesterday and said, although he looks so calm, he does feel nerves. And I'm sure there will be building up to a grand final. He grew up barracking for the pies, but he was outstanding. And they've had different guys bob up each week. You know, we talk about Lockie Neal. They haven't just relied on him to win games. In the qualifying final, it was Rayner and Danaher. Um, and in the prelim, it was Kaneen Coleman and, and Connor McKenna as well. They were just outstanding. Oh, Connor McKenna pulled out all the Irish party tricks with his kicking. And his. at one point, I thought he was going for a chip and chase with the way he just, he just dropped it over the top of the defensive line. But he was. I thought that was Connor McKenna's best game as a line. Uh, I thought that's Kaneen Coleman's best game of his career. Harris Andrews was superb as well down back. But the other player that I don't think has been celebrated enough for his performance in that prelim final was Oscar McInerney. He completely nullified Pitney and De Koning. This is De Koning, who obviously was superb in that first finals game, and, and Pitney, who's a, who's a bully of a ruckman. He's a bit Mumford-esque in the way he plies his trade in the middle. I, Oscar McInerney destroyed them. I thought he was absolutely outstanding, Big O. Yeah, he was, and we've talked about this before. The players they could least afford to lose and he's right up there the big O because they don't have a lot of depth in the ruck and you get to this point of the season you're coming up against you know the cream of the crop and he kicked a couple of really important Mm. goals one to start the second quarter Um, and again you know going into the grand final he'll be up against Cox and Cameron the big O's got a massive role to play with no Gunston in the side it does allow him to drift forward as well yeah played 85% of game time six clearance I just thought he had a wonderful game so he will be and I think We'll get to the the matchup in a moment uh, as far as going up against Collingwood. I think he's a real opportunity against both Ma- uh, Mason Cox and Darcy Cameron. Um, the as Carlton, we wish you well. Uh, Vossi, first ever prelim lost at the Gabba, which is a fun stat as he returned as coach. Uh, before we move on, let's just quickly pay a bit of tribute to the Gold Coast Suns because uh, while all this is going on and all eyes are on uh, the Lions and, and the Magpies, Gold Coast Suns have gone and won themselves a premiership, BT. Yeah, the VFL Grand Final, which is a, a great sign. We go back to, you know, teams like Geelong, who came through and won VFL Grand Finals. They had Ablett and Chapman in those sides, and then what they were able to do after that, go on to a, you know, a period of success. And let's hope the Suns are the same. They had a lot of experience in that side. Maybe a child kicked the bag, um, Chris Burgess, a couple of players that may not be there, but um, great sign for their their youngsters going forward. I reckon any silverware is good for the Gold Coast Suns. They'll take it. And the sixteen year old Leo Lombard playing as well in the game. There's some real, yeah, you know, amazing. real examples of of what's to come for the Gold Coast Suns. So exciting stuff. All right, let's take a break. On the other side of this, we will break down the 2023 AFL Grand Final between the Brisbane Lions and Collingwood. It's the Queensland Huddle. Liam Flanagan, Brett Thomas. And that is the sound we hope we hear when the siren sounds at the MCG on Saturday afternoon. Brisbane taking on Collingwood. What time's the bounce for this one? 2.30? 
Yeah, well, we know it's a daytime grand final. I believe that's right. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's first and foremost, yep. selections. Okay. Because not all, all clear on the injury front coming out of the prelim win over the Lions. What about Jack Payne? But you have you been at training this week, Brett? What can you tell us about his fitness? Yeah, watched him this morning, Tuesday morning, open session. Certainly looked a lot better than last week where he was barely getting out of a canter today. Put through some agility drills. Um, yeah, a bit of a kick and a catch as well. Uh, he'll need to train fully on Thursday to put his hand up. The question will be is that with McStay out of the Magpies side, if they go small, do they actually need the three tools in defence? Now, Danny Daly said on Monday it won't matter what Collingwood will do in terms of their selection, but I guess it is something to think about because their forward line's a bit different to the Blues where you've got Kerno, Mackay and De Koning. They've got Majacek, maybe just a resting Ruckman, and the rest of the smalls like um, Elliot, uh, Hoskin Elliot, um, Dugowie if he goes mm. forward. They're pretty dynamic up there, so yep. that's just something for Chris Fagan to think about. And obviously Darcy Gardner was phenomenal kept Charlie Curnow to one goal. Was a bit nervous about that matchup. I think if Jack Payne is fit, he'll go with Jack. Um, but certainly there's a consideration there for Chris Fagan this week. So I, I, he can't pick three. He can't pick all three. It's either Payne. For, for me, I don't think he can. If Payne comes in, it's Darcy Gardner becomes the hard luck story. He yep. becomes your Max Holmes. He becomes your the hard luck story that everybody is bemoaning and, and the cameras cut to at full time if the Lions manage to get up. Uh, you... As you said, that Collingwood, it's it's horses for courses. And you look at that Collingwood forward line and Brody Majacek, I think, is probably the natural fit for, um, oh, I guess, Harris Andrews deep if he's the deepest forward. But And then you have either Mason Cox or Darcy Cameron resting deep. Darcy Gardner, there's not a player for him. Um you know, Lepint, um, Ryan Lester provides that flexibility to play smaller than he is. He's a perfect f- um, for a Will Hoskin Elliott or a, or a Pat Lipinski. And then you've got um, Stasevich blanketing maybe Jamie Elliott or Bobby Hill and Darcy Wilmot providing his run and dash and, and Kitty Coleman. I just don't think there's room for a third tall down back. No, I think you're right. Lester's so versatile. He's been playing well. They won't leave him out. Payne, as you said, and Harris Andrews. And, and maybe it does allow, you know, Harris to play the intercept role if he goes on the resting Ruckman and he's able to come off them. Yep. He took some strong marks, as we mentioned, against the Blues. So, um, yeah, I reckon they'll stick with the structure. But, yeah, they, they won't um, have Gardner and Payne in there together. It'll be one or the other. On the other side of it, so, yeah, I think there'll be a, a tall defender hard luck story. Jared Lyons maintains his spot as the sub, you believe? Yeah, I think so. He gives them a bit of extra punch through the midfield if they happen to be getting um, beaten there. We know his toughness and... His tackling ability, he he doesn't really need to come in and get a couple of touches to get involved. He can get involved another way. So I reckon he keeps his spot as the sub. I did. I was watch as I was watching the prelim. I was I found myself drawn to watching Dev Robertson because not because he had his shirt off, but I was just it felt to me. There were times I was looking at him and thinking, I wonder if he's nervous about losing his spot. And I'm sure if you asked him, he'd say no. But there was just moments I was watching him. There were a few mistakes early on. And I, we know he's been that player. He and Jared Lyons have been that player kind of on the cusp. Um, they've, they've rotated some spots through the sub this year. And sometimes they've been left out entirely. And I just was watching him thinking, I wonder if it's in his head. I need to play well so I get to play in a grand final. I think what's probably helped them is because you look at, okay, who, if they were going to make a change, would come in. I mean... Um, Kai Loman, he's done his injured, collarbone. Yeah. It won't be Rich. It won't be Ashcroft. 
So I think that probably works in their favour. Maybe a Jackson Pryor, who played well in the VFL mm. um, prelim, but probably unlikely. I reckon they'd make a change there. There were some nervous moments, a lot of turnovers in that first quarter, um, but I, I reckon he's going to back pretty much the same side in. You want to have a settled side going into a grand final. Yep. It's not too often, apart from Marlon Pickett, that you see really left-field selections leading into a grand final. Uh, on the other side of things, quickly, if we cast an eye to the Collingwood Magpies, obviously Dan McStay is the is the change that they'll make. The other watch and see for them is Taylor Adams and this hamstring. Have you got any inside word there on, on how he's shaping up? Um, well, Thursday is the D-Day, a bit like Jack Payne for um, Taylor Adams. He's running at the moment at, they said, 75 to 80%. He'll have to get up to 100, so top speed by Thursday. It'll be 15 days since he strained his hamstring. That's a massive call for them, and then, you know, do they go small? Does he replace McStay, or do they bring in a Billy Frampton? So a bit there to think oh, from three, a Collingwood perspective. Three-team Billy. And you think about, like, Nick Dacos, you know, um, coming back from the, the hairline fracture of his knee. Could they have him and Taylor Adams in the same side? Do so. you know what? As I as I watched that game on Friday night, and I looked at Nick Dacos, and there's no questioning his quality, but he looked he looked like a guy coming back from injury. He looked, yeah. he looked a half step off and he looked like he was taking a few half steps into contests. Yeah, I mean, he still, you know, did some classy things. He and Pendlebury just never fumbled the ball. They're unbelievable, no. but probably not at 100%. So whether they can take Taylor Adams in as well is a big question for... Uh, right. Before we... Before, I, want to, I want to roll something out for you, Brett, because I love this. I love what we've been doing this year on the Queensland Huddle, and I prepared this for uh, the Rush Hour radio show, but I'm going to give it to us first. I, I want to take you on a journey through the Brisbane Lions seasons. I picked out five moments that mattered from yep. this year for the Brisbane Lions, and I just want to get your thoughts on them. Because I think if we look to where they were at the start of the year to where they are now, I think these are the five moments that have led them to this point. Number one, you go back to October 12th last year. That was the day Josh Dunkley officially became a Brisbane Lion. He was brought to this club for this reason. He was brought to this club to bring toughness, to bring size into this midfield. He's the reigning Western Bulldogs best and fairest, so there's no question about his quality. But what the Lions gave up now, in hindsight, seems like absolute peanuts. They traded off pick 21 that GWS used for Darcy Jones. He's yet to play a game. Uh, Some futures as well. But this is a guy who has ranked second at the club for disposals, first for tackles and third for clearances. He has brought all that inside toughness that they wanted. And now on Saturday at the MCG, it's his time to shine again, I believe. Yeah, exactly. This is why they brought in, um, you know, Josh Dunkley going back to Joe Danaher. Lockie Neal's been there for a few years now. Charlie Cameron is to win grand finals. And what they were lacking was the big bodied midfielder, a two-way runner who can defend as well as win the footy. And that's what Josh Dunkley's Mm. done this year. We've seen different players bob up each week in the finals for the Lions. Maybe this is Josh Dunkley's turn on Saturday. I can't wait to see. Now, moment number two, March 18th, 2023, round one. I went down yeah. to Adelaide, 54-point loss to Port. That's how they opened their season. Let's not forget that. They got absolutely smacked in the mouth by Port in Adelaide. And there were questions as to whether this team had bought into their own hype. There was a lot of hype about this team preseason. Questions of whether they drunk their own bathwater. And Fags said, I, I, don't, I don't really know. I don't really have an answer for, for this performance. And I th- love that he was forced and he and the coaching staff were forced to go away after the very first game of the season and go, maybe, maybe we, we haven't, we're not quite uh, as switched on and dialed in as we want to be. 
Yeah, they were coasting through the preseason. I think they beat Geelong at Springfield. Ashcroft mm-hmm. was playing well. Dunkley's motoring along. They've got Gunston in. It just seemed all a little bit too perfect. And then all of the kind of demons of the past resurfaced against the power where they were beaten up by a bigger bodied midfield. Orn Francis, Powell Pepper got a hold of them. So, yeah, it was just an early chance for Fagan to just to correct them a little bit and say, hey, you know, there's a long way to go here and we're no certainties of anything in this comp. Then they get a roll on and the season starts going well. Moment three for me that mattered was 14th of June. That was when Dan Rich and Jack Gunston got sent away for this preseason. Now, I, I, I would love to nothing more than to see particularly Dan Rich out there on Saturday. I'd love to see this tremendous servant of the club win a premiership or get to play in a grand final at the very least. But he won't be out there. And I think this moment was important for Chris Fagan because whether you believe the story that they asked to be dropped or whether you believe the whispers that it was them being told, you blokes aren't up to it. I feel like that moment r- released the shackles a little bit of for, for Chris Fagan as far as selection. I think it allowed him to go, I, I don't need to, uh, I guess, be beholden to the veterans. I, I can just pick my best side. And, and from a particularly Dan Rich perspective, what Darcy Wilmot and Kadeen Coleman and Ryan Lester offer me is, is more. Yeah, absolutely. That was the fork in the road moment for Chris Fagan. Before then, you know, his, his changes were mainly just changing wingmen around Pryor mm. and Mitch Robinson um, from the year before and Harry Sharp. But this was huge. This is the biggest call selection-wise he's made. Uh, you know, two veterans, two experienced players, a triple premiership player that they brought across on a three-year deal. Yep. And to move away from his structure of three tools as well, it opened up more space for the bigs and also for their guys like Rayner and McCarthy to fly at the footy. So, you know, it was a bit like Ross Lyon dropping Del Santo and Milne back in the day. Then they go on to play in prelims and grand finals. And Chris Fagan said it probably put everyone else on edge. And, you know, backing in, as you said, Wilmot, McKenna, um, Kadeen Coleman, and they haven't let him down. And then you jump forward. They went on a run after that. They won uh, five of their next six games. They're in, they're in great form. And we get to round 20. And they come up against the Gold Coast Suns. Now, you and I called this game. And what Took Miller did to Lockie Neal, and the reason I think this is a moment that mattered, is that Took shut Lockie down. And the Brisbane Lions midfield didn't react. There was no, the coaching box didn't react. The teammates didn't react. There was no adjustment on in the moment. And the Gold Coast Suns ran away with the game. It was a 41-point win for the Suns in this Q clash. And that was round 20. So they look at it and they go, okay, we've got four more games of the regular season. And we've just shown our potential premiership opponents how to shut us down, and that is to put Lockie Neal away under lock and key. And I, whether they'd ever admit it or not, because I know Fag said at the time, oh, we, we trusted the players to work it out. I think they went away and said, we, we need to at least verbalise, here's what we need to do if Lockie's shut down. Yeah, and they did that against um, the power in the qualifying final where they got Zorko to try and get under Butters. Uh, yes. Feathers. So, um, yeah, that was huge. Took Miller got the three Brownlow votes for that game as well, that cute clash. Mm. So. Their energy was off. Again, a bit of a course correction to say, time to wake up. We're coming into the run home of the season. We've been playing well, but let's just wake up here because um, you know, there is that belief out there. If you stop Lockie, you can stop the Lions. He hates that. He wore that as a chip on his shoulder. I'll go back a couple of weeks before that too, the loss to Melbourne where they're up by 26 points with mm-hmm. 10 minutes to go. And Fake said that they hadn't been training their um, you know, yep. end-of-game scenarios. And after that, they've been able to win some close ones. So I reckon... That Melbourne loss was also 
um, a turning point for the Lions season. And then the last one I'll give you, and again, this is not something I celebrate. I just think something worth acknowledging is the Lions-Crows game, uh, 13th of August, when in round 22, when Jack Gunston hurts his knee. Because, again, I think Jack Gunston had done the work, had earned his way back into this side, and, and it started to find a bit of form. But the injury forces him out of the team. And as we've discussed at length on this podcast, that injury, that absence, has given Cam Rayner license to grow and essentially become the third tall target down forward. And, and you and I have banged on about this Lions front six all year. It is the best front six in the comp, and I think it's better when Cam Rayner is empowered to go and hunt that footy. And I think when Gunston was in there, it was a little crowded for Cam. Yeah, and in, in previous seasons, you know, he'd bring in a Tom Fullerton to play the third tool role if McStay or Hipwood or Danaher was out. So he's gone away from that, and maybe that took a tough decision out of um, Fag's hands. So, yeah, again, another big turning point, Gunston going down against the Crows. There we go. All right, that was. I just wanted to go on a bit of a trip down memory lane because it's a grand final we're talking about this weekend, so there's some moments that have mattered. And now we set ourselves for Saturday, 2.30 p.m., Brett, Give us your final thoughts and, and give us a, a margin and a Norm Smith, please. Well, I reckon the Premiership will be won in the Premiership quarter for the Lions. Third quarter will go on a blitz. It'll be kind of low scoring up until then. The Pies have been in some low scoring arm wrestles. I'm going to go with the Lions kicking away by 27 points. 27 points. What about yep. a Norm Smith? I'll go Dunkley. Dunkley. It's a good yep. pick. Your it's call? A, it's a very good pick. Look, I, I think... I think it's going to be a hard-fought thing. I think we're in for one of the more entertaining grand finals we've seen in a, in a while. I don't think you're going to see a blowout like we've seen uh, the Swans, um, the way they got done by the Cats, and I don't think the way the Tigers do Smith the Giants. I think this, these are the best two teams of the season, and I'm so excited to see them play. I think the Lions will win. I, I really believe that. I'm not just saying that because we're on the Queensland huddle. I do think this is the best team in the competition. I think they've just got too much firepower I'm tipping them by less than 10. I think it's going to be a single-digit game. I think eight points will be the margin. For Norm Smith, I don't think he's had the season he would have liked. And I think on a day when there's going to be so much attention paid to the likes of Charlie Cameron and Lockie Neal and Josh Dunkley, I think Zach Bailey can turn in a Norm Smith winning performance. Yeah, I like it. I There's think someone different bobbing up every week. Yep. It could be Zach Stone. And, and what what I saw of him in the finals last year, last campaign, he is, I'm not going to put him on the level of Dacos and Pendlebury, but he is clean. He is he has clean hands. And I think you could see a three to four goal performance out of Zach Bailey with almost 20 touches, which in my mind is, is as a small forward could win your Norm Smith medal. Yeah, worth their weight in gold. I reckon he'll have a Glenn Freeborn type moment Ooh. where he just bangs on a few quick goals. Glenn Freeborn, shout out. <laughs> Deep cut. All right. Well, there it is. Uh, I guess it's, well, I mean, I imagine we'll do a wrap up next week on the Queensland Huddle. I hadn't really thought that far, Brett. Well, especially if they win. All right. Tell you what, glory. You might see us next week. Here's hoping you do. Here's hoping we're celebrating a Lions Premiership. Brett Thomas, if we don't, it has been a pleasure and a privilege, and we'll see you in 2024. Loved it, Flanners. Go Lions. Go Lions.